This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we begin, Olivia, we've been cramming them in. I am going on vacation, so we're recording a couple of episodes here in advance. How are you doing? I know it's a little bit later. How are you hanging in there with me? You think you're going to be able to make it? Oh, yes. I got my Girl Scout cookie sitting next to me. I got my water. I'm ready. This marathon, everybody liked the marathon last time. So uh, you're not as <laughs> like hyped caffeinated on caffeine. John. <laughs> no, I'm trying to drink more water, be healthy. Try to, I had a salad for lunch today even. Oh, so what? Yeah. But then I had a Mexican pizza and a crunch wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had Taco and Bell today too. That's what I had for dinner. Millie wanted a Mexican pizza. And I was like, <laughs> how, how could I be a terrible father and deprive you of the joy that is a Mexican pizza? That's a good father so. move. Trying, you know, I'm trying to raise it right. <laughs> so, well, this week is my case. I really have to stop doing this. I find one cold case and then I'm like, let me dive into a rabbit hole and find another cold case. So I'm going to really work on kind of spreading my topics out. But this one just caught my attention when I was researching my short on time for last week. I stumbled across this one and was like, I got to talk about it because it just it got me. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get into it to talk about it. What do you say? Should we just go ahead and jump in? Yeah, what you got? This week's case takes place in Woods Cross, Utah. Now, only about nine miles away from Salt Lake City, Woods Cross was a quiet town that rarely experienced any violent crime. Karen Saltzgiver actually grew up not far from Woods Cross in the town of Bountiful. She was born on December 5th, 1954 to her mother, Mary, and her father, Dave. Karen and I have the same birthday. Oh. Karen? Is that, it's, it's Karen, yeah. Oh. But yes, you're December 5th, babies. Yes. Now, their family were practicing Catholics, which I'm sure you know can be very isolating in a place like Utah. Many folks in the state are Mormon, so being a Catholic was kind of out of the ordinary. Because of this, Karen spent the majority of her time as a child with her little sister, Colleen. 
Now, growing up, Karen was funny and kind. According to Colleen, she was a very pretty girl who was also very popular and outgoing. And as kids, the girls were inseparable. But when Karen was 17, she met her future husband, Steve Strom. According to Colleen, Steve was quite the opposite of her sister, Karen. Steve was quiet and introverted and preferred to stay to himself. But Strom also liked to drink. And when he would toss a few drinks back, his temper would come out. Colleen was concerned after seeing how her sister was treated by Steve, but despite how her sister felt, Karen married Steve Strom after their high school graduation in 1973. The couple then purchased a home together in Woods Cross. Karen got a job working for the state while Steve worked the night shift as a machinist at an aeronautics plant in the area. The couple were both making a solid wage and seemed to be living a happy life, but on June 6, 1980, tragedy would strike and shatter the lives of many. Now, at the time, homicide detective Clarence Montgomery responded to a terrifying 911 call. On that call, a man is heard shouting, please come. My wife's been killed. When the dispatcher asked the man for his name, he replied, Steve Strom. When Detective Montgomery arrived at the scene, he found the victim, Karen Strom, dead. Steve Strom was outside, seeming visually and genuinely distraught. When police took his statement, Steve shared that he hadn't seen Karen since the previous night. He shared that the couple had an enjoyable evening the night before. They had gotten dinner, watched TV, and then he eventually had to leave for work. He also told detectives that he locked the doors when he had first left, and they were still locked when he came home. According to Steve, he arrived home and didn't see anything out of the ordinary. But when he entered the couple's bedroom, he found Karen lying lifeless on the floor. Steve told detectives that this is when he immediately contacted 911. So I just want to stop right there because this is a terrifying thought to me. It's like, you're like, bye, honey. See you later. I'm going to work. Then you come home and they're just on the floor gone. So as we're going through, are you having any similar thoughts? Where's your head at as we're walking through the story? Yeah, right now, Steve's not my number one guy. I mean, I know the husbands always get um, checked over first, but right now we just have the 911 call. He came home. His wife was dead. So I kind of want to see where this goes and how this becomes a cold case. I'm assuming this was a cold case at one point. So let's keep going and find out. So while the police continued to interview Steve, Detective Montgomery investigated the scene. Karen's body was on the floor with her head propped against the bed. She had bruises on her neck, which suggested that she had been strangled. The bed was a mess and a TV had been knocked off its stand and was laying on the floor. Additionally, several rungs in the couple's metal headboard had been broken. And I checked out a little bit of a Discovery Plus show that talked about this along with, you know, reading a bunch of articles on it. And they actually showed a picture of the headboard. And the best way that I can think to describe it is I think this was popular in like the 80s, but it was think about like the rod iron headboards where it's like separate rods connected to the frame instead of rod iron. It was like colored gold bars. Okay. So, so a few of those were like punched out basically. Yes. Now, because of all of this, Montgomery believed that a struggle had occurred in the bedroom. He also believed that Karen Strom had fought back against her attacker. She had torn tissue around her neck and bruising on her legs and feet. Also, her fingernails were torn. Montgomery believed that Karen had fought and scratched at the person who attacked her, but police were unable to find any physical evidence. There was no signs of forced entry or robbery, and the only fingerprints found in the home belonged to Steve or Karen Strom. Because of this, police believed the attack to be personal. Now, at this time, this was the first murder to ever occur in Woods Cross. And word of the tragedy spread fast. Karen's sister, Colleen, got word and immediately rushed to the scene. And she only had one suspect in mind, Steve Strom. According to Colleen, Steve's drinking was still an issue and would unleash a, quote, whole other side of him. 
The couple was having heated arguments and Karen's family believed that Steve may have been physically abusing her. Now, historically, Karen would defend her husband to her family, but recently something had changed. And about three months before her murder, Karen had asked Steve for a divorce. According to Colleen, Karen had moved back home with her mother after telling Steve that she wanted to separate. She shared with police that Karen had only been at the house that night as a gesture of kindness. It was right around the time of their wedding anniversary and Steve's birthday. She just didn't want him to be alone. Colleen also shared that her sister had been seeing a new man named Buff. And according to Colleen, he treated her pretty well and Karen was happy. But Steve Strom told a different story. He told police that he had never abused Karen. He did tell them they had been split up, but they were in the process of reconciling. And to the best of his knowledge, Karen and Buff had broken it off. Steven then provided a list of people he believed Karen may have let into the home. And Buff was at the top of that list. Despite Colleen's concerns, the police were able to determine that Steve had in fact been at work for his entire shift the night that she was killed. Because of this, they had to let him loose. Along with verifying that Steve had been at work all night, they also spoke with a co-worker, Edward Owens. His name was on the list that Steve provided to the police because he was good friends with the couple. Owens shared that he had left work around 8 p.m. on the night of the murder. From there, he got himself dinner and told the police that he spent the majority of the night drinking. He even returned to work and later drove home drunk. But something caught the attention of police. He had scratches on his arms and his face. And when they asked, Owens said that they were simply hazards of his job at the manufacturing plant. Police were suspicious, but his alibi with his friends checked out and they had to move on. So Buff was next on the list. Now Buff shared that he and Karen had been talking about getting married, but he also told police that he encouraged Karen to go back to Steve. He wanted to be sure that Karen wanted to end it with him before they moved their relationship forward. And Buff fell in line very much so with Colleen. He believed that Steve Strom was responsible for Karen's death. So before we go any further, we've just run through, you know, several potential people that the police may be interested in. Anything sticking out to you? What are you thinking? Right now, my money's on Edward Owens. He's the one that has scratches on his body. He's a friend of Steve's. People hire hitmen in this day and age. So right now, I'm I'm leaning more towards Edward. All right. I like I'm liking the way that you're thinking. You're putting your critical thought process, you know, critical thinking skills, murder coordinate. Now, it was around this time that Karen's autopsy results came back. Detective Montgomery's theory had been correct. Karen Strom had, in fact, been strangled to death. The autopsy also confirmed that Karen's death took place somewhere between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Now, this meant that Steve could have murdered his wife and then headed to work because Steve didn't head to work normally until 12.15 in the evening. Because of this, the police shifted their focus back to Steve Strom. Still declaring his innocence, Steve actually requested to take a polygraph test. And when they asked about Karen's murder, he failed. Now, around this time, police also interviewed Karen's co-workers. They shared that Karen had confided in them about the abuse. They cited a specific incident in which Steve had choked Karen nearly to death. And according to the co-worker, Karen shared that she was lucky to be alive. At this point, this was all that the police needed. An arrest warrant was issued for Steve Strom. They were able to determine that Steve was staying in a nearby apartment. But when they arrived, he refused to cooperate. He remained locked inside, which caused a three-hour standoff. But eventually, Steve Strom surrendered. Okay, okay. Now I'm leaning more towards Steve. That's why I picked this case, because it's like, as you're going through, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. An innocent man doesn't hold himself up hostage in a apartment. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So I'm really excited to see what you think at the end as we're going through. And hopefully the listeners are going through and they're formulating their own whodunit as well. Because this was one of the cool things about research in this case. Now, after Strom's arrest, prosecutors worked to build a case. But six months after Steve Strom was charged, a judge ruled that the testimony from Karen's co-workers would not be admissible. And I think that's because it would technically be hearsay where it's, you know, she told me this. I heard this right now because the prosecution's case hung on this witness testimony, they had no choice but to let Steve go. And they hope that if they continue to work it, they may have another chance at charging him in the future. However, there were no other leads and the case would eventually grow cold for over two decades. But in 2006, police finally caught the break that they were hoping for. Now we've talked about this on several different cases that we've covered on the podcast, but DNA technology had been created and then jump leaps and bounds between 1980 and 2006. And there was still plenty of forensic evidence left from the crime scene. Now, at the time of the murder, police had collected a sample of material from under Karen Strom's fingernails. At this point, the material was sent to a lab to be tested. And to the amazement of police, they were actually determined that some of what was under her nails were actually DNA. But now police had to determine who that DNA matched or belonged to. Now, what I thought was very interesting is they contacted Steve Strom and he voluntarily drove to Utah from where he was living in Nevada to give a sample. Now, that DNA was sent off and it was tested. And more shockingly, the DNA was found to be a match to two separate people. Let me guess. Go for it. I hope it's my two culprits, Steve and Edward. It is Steve Strom and Edward Owens. Now, at this point, police knew that there was the two DNA profiles there, but they didn't know which one was the dominant. So they sent it back again to retest where the dominant profile was and where that DNA may have come from. That sample was tested again, and it was determined that the majority of the DNA was, in fact, from Edward Owens. Additionally, it was determined that the sample they tested had come from Owens' seminal fluid. What? Yeah, it's a wild ride. Now, we're talking two decades, so I'm hoping that Edward Owens is still alive at this point. Yes, both Steve Strom and Edward Owens are both alive at this point. Okay, okay, I'll let you tell the rest of the case. Now, because Owens was the dominant profile and where the DNA had come from, police began to work back through their old cases and re-interviewed the friends who had confirmed Owens' alibi. Now, at this point in time, they actually couldn't recall if Owens had been at the bar the entire evening. They also recalled seeing scratches on Owens the following day. And when they asked, he told his friends it was from playing with the dog. Now, if you remember, this contradicted the story that Owens gave police back in 1980. At that point, detectives reached out to Owens and asked him to come in for an interview. He agreed, but he never showed up. And shortly after, police learned that Owens had fled the country from Mexico, leaving everything behind, even his wife. He actually left her a note with bank account information, things like that, and was just like, deuces, I'm going to Mexico. So I don't know about you. To me, there's not a lot of louder ways to say, hey, I did something I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I kind of want to make two assumptions right here. Okay. The first one is being that Steve Strom hired Edward Owens as a hitman. The second one would be Owens was having an affair with Karen and nobody knew about it. All right. And she was going to out him or something. I like where your brain is at. And I think as we go through the story, you're going to be a little bit mind blown. Okay. 
Otherwise, you know, I don't know if you're cheating and looking at my notes or anything like that, but I'm, no. exci- I'm excited to see what you think. Now, after learning that Owens had fled the country, of course, an arrest warrant was issued for him immediately. But a few weeks later, to the surprise of the police, Edward Owens walked into the police station and turned himself in. At that moment, he was immediately charged with the murder of Karen Strom. However, his defense attorney offered a surprising claim. According to Owens, he and Karen had been having an affair. And when Steve found out, he killed his wife. I don't know. That's what I'm saying, though. It's kind of... This is like a love triangle gone bad if it was really even a love triangle. I'm just assuming this. Well, this is what Edward Owens is saying. He's saying, I was having an affair. Steve Strom found out about it and he killed his wife. Yeah, I would say the same thing if I was guilty and being charged for murder right now. Put the blame on somebody else. But I don't know that it went that way. 110%. I agree with you. That's, you know, I didn't do it. It was him. So with this allegation, right, police needed solid evidence to disprove this claim before they could charge Owens officially. And so for the second time, charges against the suspect were dropped. But this time, detectives would not let the case grow cold. They immediately went back to the original evidence from the scene. And detectives found a pair of underwear that Karen Storm was wearing the day she was attacked. And in that underwear was blood. They tested the blood and awaited the results. And to no one's surprise, it was found to belong to Edward Owens. Owens was arrested and recharged for the murder of Karen Strom. His trial began in March of 2009, and the prosecution laid out their theory of what had happened on that night in 1980. They believed that Owens camped outside the Strom's house, and when Steve left for work, Owens knocked on the door. Now, obviously, Karen knew Edward Owens, so they believed that she let him in the house. It was then that Owens attempted to sexually assault Karen, but she fought back. And when he couldn't rape her, Owens strangled her to death. He then left the home and headed back to his friends at the bar. But Owens' defense continued to claim that he and Karen were engaged in an affair. They also claimed that the semen found under Karen's nails was from a few days before the murder. The jury deliberated for roughly two days before handing down their verdict. Edward Owens was found guilty of murder. Now, where things get really interesting is at his sentencing, Owens made a bombshell claim. According to Owens, Steve Strom had paid him to kill his wife. Owens claimed that Strom had talked about wanting his wife dead several times, and he also claimed that he had offered him half of Karen's life insurance. In Owens' version of the events, he had gone to the Strom house to, quote, warn Karen. Then the two got into an argument that led to her death. The judge sentenced Edward Owens to life in prison without parole. Now, authorities did investigate to see if any of Owens' claims or story could be true, but the investigation found that his claims were unfounded and that Steve Strom had nothing to do with the death of Karen Strom. So that's this week's story, and there's a lot to unpack. I want to talk about what you're thinking, where you're at, in your head, where did you land? What do you think was going on? I want to know if Owens and Karen were really having an affair because my first thought was that Steve hired Edward as a hitman to kill his wife. But like the first thing that detectives do when they like are interviewing people is they look at their hands. All of our cases, they like look at their hands, look for scratches. Anytime you're reading anything, they're looking at people's hands. Why in the world, even if his story checked out, why wouldn't they investigate him further? He was covered in scratches. 
Well, I can say before I moved to Nashville, I worked in an automotive stamping plant and I ran a machine and I would come home with paper cuts. My knuckles would be busted. I would have cuts all over my hands because I'm taking out these big tool and die boards and I've got a wrench in there and I'm, you know, tightening something up and I scrape my hand. So that's valid. It is definitely believable that he would do that. I think where it gets suspicious for me is when he told his friends like, no, I was playing with a dog. Because it's like, well, now you've got two different stories, man. Yeah. Why would you lie to your friends? Right. Yeah. I wonder if they were just having an affair or if he was hired as a hitman. Who knows? What has Steve ever said about it? So I really couldn't find anything on Steve after all of this. Mm -hmm. And I was actually talking to Kara about it before we were recording tonight. But I was like, I can't imagine being innocent of killing your wife, but people are beating a drum for over 30 years saying that you murdered somebody. Right. You know, so not only have you lost your wife. You've lost your reputation. Your family, your reputation. It's like you lose everything, Mm -hmm. you know. And based on the work that they did to narrow down and find Owens, like I'm inclined to believe that Owens was probably just saying anything that he could say to put the focus on somebody else. Because if he had been paid, right, if it was like a hitman thing, why even say anything about having an affair? But it felt almost like, I'm just going to throw stuff at the wall until it sticks. I I think Steve Strom had some drinking problems. He had some anger issues, but I don't think he killed his wife. That's just me personally. I mean, Owens did it. I just don't know why. Right. Yeah. Let me rephrase. I guess I don't know. I don't think he had anything to do in the planning of his wife's murder. Yeah. Yeah. Now in the research, I did learn that Edward Owens worked what was called like the swing shift. Mm -hmm. So if Strom went in at 12, Owens would work like four to 11 and said that weird shift mm-hmm. and they kind of overlapped a little bit and they got to be like casual friends. So like they would double date occasionally go out to dinner, but he was described as kind of like an odd bird. Like he was just a little, there was something that was off about him, but Steve Strom had a habit of befriending people pretty easily, even though he's introverted, like he could still like, Hey, what's going on, man? Like, you know what I mean? Kind of make friends rather easily. Yeah. So there's the theory that Owens got really infatuated with Karen because Karen was a beautiful woman, like in the research going through and like looking at the pictures, like she was a very attractive woman. And they think that, you know, he may have had some kind of infatuation, something like that, thinking that, you know, maybe he could make something happen if he showed up. And when it didn't go the way that he wanted, that's when everything kind of fell apart, you know. Well, this was a good one. It kept me on my toes, John. I know. And it's, it's that cold case. I was like, man, 30 years have passed, but like, you got to get this guy. And I think it's because there's so many of them don't get solved. And those families don't get closure that when I stumble across something like this, it's like, yes, like they got something, you know what I mean? And I think that's what makes me want to talk about them. In this day and age, you would think that the police departments would have some sort of program where people could go and... Maybe not see the evidence, but like read about, read through the charts and what they found in interviews and paperwork of these cold cases, because everybody nowadays is obsessed with true crime. Like we should be able to go and try to figure out these cold cases. Like how cool would that be? Like I figured this out. Yeah. There's a lot of people that do that online. They're like the web sleuths. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched that documentary, uh, don't F with cats on Netflix. No, I was told not to, and I never will. It's super dark, but if it wasn't for web detectives, they probably never would have caught that guy. So it's, you know, there's a whole group of people out there on like Reddit and message boards 
mm-hmm. that are just people like you and me that, you know, they work their day jobs, but when they're not working their day jobs, instead of podcasting, they're like, I'm looking for clues. Okay. What building is in this picture? You know, this at, you know, this address is in this picture. So where could this be like breaking it down? It's crazy. There's yeah. tons of stories out there where the internet has helped solve a case. There's also a lot of stories out there where the internet has like completely tanked a case and gotten things all wrong and created myths and stuff. But it's, I feel like it's just like anything else. Like you get good and bad out of it. Yeah. Well, this was a great one. You want to jump into the deadbolt test? Let's talk about it. Where are you putting it? This was not going to make me go check my doors tonight before I go to bed, but it was very interesting and it really kept me on my toes. And I still have a lot of unanswered questions about why Edward Owens killed Karen, but I'm going to put this one out of four. I think that not knowing why somebody killed her bothers me a lot, but um, it's not going to be something that happens to me. Even if this is some sort of love triangle or an affair from a your husband's coworker, or just maybe Owens had an obsession with Karen, who knows? But whatever the reason may be, somebody still killed someone. So still pretty unsettling, but not going to make me check my locks tonight. What about you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there with you, and it's crazy because you know we're talking about this in 1980. Edward Owens, when he was sentenced, was only 58 years old. So like he's still got like a lot of life left that he's going to be in prison. But I'm actually going to put this just a smidge higher. I'm going to come in and put this in at a seven. And the only thing that really does it for me is kind of what I talked about a little bit earlier in the episode. It's just the idea that like I leave the house, you know, if I leave anywhere now, I've got cameras. So I'm like, if I get like a weird feeling or something, I'm like, let me check the cameras, make sure everybody's safe, you know? Yeah. So the idea of leaving and then coming home and finding some like terrible crime scene, that is absolutely horrifying to me. So that's, I think, where I'd put it at seven. I don't drink and get angry. I don't, you know, don't have those kind of uh, marital issues that they were going through, you know, things of that nature. But the idea of coming home and finding somebody that I care about in that state, I mean, I got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. So so I'm going to put it in at seven. That's where I'm going to fall. All right. Well, that is where we are landing on the deadbolt test, but we want to know where does the murder of Karen Strom fall on yours? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Hit us up on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to spend some time with you, to get to know you, to interact with you. Honestly, for me, that's my favorite part of doing this podcast. It's just having that group where we get to talk to everybody and hang out. I don't know if you feel the same way, Olivia, but I really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah, I do too. It's like a little family. Everybody's so sweet and kind and people really are genuinely nice and care about our well-being and we care about them. It's a great place. One of my favorite things to do is to kind of reach out to people individually and like just check in and be like, hey, you know, how's everything going? And, you know, it does feel very much like a family kind of vibe. And I've said it all the time, but it's to me it is the best place on the Internet. So thank you if you're a member of the Facebook group. Thank you for hanging out with us and and contributing to that environment. And if you're not a member of the Facebook group, come hang out with us. We'd love to have you. Olivia, this was another country road case. Lots of twists, lots of turns. I need a little bit of a palate cleanser. Let's get this taste out of my mouth. You got a five-star review for us to read. I do have a five-star review this week. That's from Buckeye04 with a football emoji. I know what this um, one is. I think they must be a Married at First Sight fan. Yes, no, maybe so. Or trying to be I, punny like you. I think so, because when I read this review, I'm so excited that you get to read it. But I like fell out of my chair laughing. I was like, this is so clever. (laughs) 
So Buckeye04 said, blindly, I found this podcast. I listened to the first podcast and I was definitely interested in continuing to listen to more. Then the next, I found myself binge listening. Is this really a podcast I want to continue to listen to or find another show? Episode after episode, I found myself getting hooked. So it's now decision day. Do I want to continue to listen to Check the Locks or find another show? After thinking about all the episodes and how they were scary, but very intriguing, my decision is to dot 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 stay listening to check the locks yay Yay, buckeye 04 (laughs) i'm glad you're gonna keep listening to us i feel like we need dr viviana here or something (laughs) (laughs) i know i feel like somebody else should have read this review I know. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Buckeye04. That review, I'm, I get the, you know, I get the alerts when reviews come in and stuff like that because uh, they log through our webpage and things of that nature. So I got the the alert and I was like, oh, you know, I always like to hear what people say about the show. So I read it and I just was like, this is one of the funniest things. Yeah. I don't, it was awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time, not only for leaving us that review, but for putting like thought and your sense of humor and your personality into it. It was really, really funny. I just love seeing it come through uh, and definitely reach out to us because we would love to send you. We got stickers. We got I just got coasters that are in. Got a bunch of cool stuff that we'd like to get sent out to you. So reach out. Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod, Twitter at Check the Locks. If you're on our Facebook group, reach out. Let us know there. And if you're not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to CheckTheLocksPod.com. Send us an email. We'd be more than happy to get you some stuff mailed out. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their super funny five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Well, they need to come up with a really punny comment, but they need to hop on over to Apple Podcast app. Go to our home shows page. Scroll down where you see all five stars. Click all five. Leave us something punny. Tell us what you think. And maybe you'll be read on our podcast. Yeah, and I know I've said this before, but these reviews really do mean the world to us. They help us get out in front of more listeners. They help us grow the audience and our family. And that's really what we're trying to do. So if you have left us a review, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really do appreciate it. If you have not left us a review, now is a great time to do it. We are just shy, I think, of 150 reviews. So it'd be great to hit that number. If you want to help us get there, you haven't left us a review, head over to Apple Podcasts, do that. If you need a cheat code, go into the description of this episode. There's a link there. It makes it nice and easy. And also leave us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. If you want to leave us some verbal feedback, let us hear your voice, what you sound like, what you like, what you don't. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Click the microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Olivia loves voicemails. So we would love to hear from you. I do. I'm about to leave my own voicemail. Hi. Hi. I just want to hear myself. I just wanted a voicemail. Don't make Olivia leave herself a voicemail. (laughs) I'll do it, y'all. I will do it. And we'll make you listen to it. Over and over and over again. And to that note, if you're interested in financially supporting Check the Logs, if you want to help financially support the weird stuff that we're doing over here, you can do that by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. You can sign up there. We got a lot of great tiers. We got exclusive stickers, coffee mugs, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff. We just recently did our very first listener vote episode. That was awesome. It was great to get feedback from the patrons and let them pick the case so that I didn't have to worry about it. So thank you for your help in that. And again, if you want to join the patron family, help us keep the lights on. That's patreon.com forward slash check the locks. I will say that I got to listen to my first ad free episode. I was riding in the car with my mom and we listened to one of the short on times together and we listened to it ad free. It was kind of nice. And the day before, I believe. 
Yep, it comes out the night before. So I usually Yeah, we listen to it on Tuesday night. Yeah, usually if you're in the the Patreon, I try to get those out a little bit later in the evening. Anywhere between like eight and eight thirty central. Oh yeah, it was like nine thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also another thing too. You get them a night before, no ads, things like that. So if you want to financially help us out, that is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support us, that makes a ton of sense. We definitely get it. Just listening to the show every week, hanging out with us and sharing what we do with your friends and family means just as much. So if that is you, right, if you're tuning in every week, you're letting your friends know, hey, listen to this podcast. I think you'd like it from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much. Because again, our whole goal is to grow this audience, grow this community and get in front of as many people as we can. So thank you so much. If you were doing that, we appreciate you more than you know. That is all that we have for you this week, but please make sure that you are subscribed to check the locks on your favorite podcast app. So you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you again next week. Bye.